Hi, my name is Steve Warren, and I want to welcome you to this podcast. I'm believing today you'll be filled with faith, you'll be energized by hope, and you'll feel loved as this message seeks to transform and empower your life. God bless you as you listen to this. Topic of God, Held, and Ek. And uh, that is the topic, title of the series, but we will translate that into God, Money, and Me for this, this, this service based on a book called God, Money, and Me by uh, a pastor called Paul de Jong, who happens to be Dutch, but he's pastoring one of the largest churches in New Zealand, a good friend of ours. And next week, we've actually got a real treat for you. He himself will be preaching um, on video to us. Uh, we... Uh, he, he preached in our church in Sydney recently on this topic, and not only was it, was it so good, I actually think given we're studying the book in our groups, you can buy the book out on the, inf- uh, on the hub, um, given we're studying the book in our groups, uh, I, I can't think of a better person to talk about it than the author. Uh, He is outstanding on this topic. He's gone through his own personal journey, which you'll get to hear about, uh, on on being generous, but finding, hitting his late 30s, finding that he had no money, uh, and having to reinvent how he saw the world of money. And so we talked about that a little bit last week, the 10-10-10-70 principle that helped him get unstuck and will help you live in financial freedom. Uh, Today I want to talk to you about financial freedom. Uh, we, we need to talk about this subject. Um, you guys are probably a bit more open about it, but uh, uh, in the Netherlands generally, we don't like to talk about money. But how many of you know that not talking about something doesn't solve it? Okay, guys, if, uh, if, if your wife is for some strange reason um, unhappy with you, ignoring the topic doesn't seem to make it go away. I've tried. It just doesn't work. If, uh, if, if, if anything is to happen, it's likely to get worse, uh, and the mood is likely to grow stronger, better to talk about it. There's probably a good reason, and probably something you might have done uh, that caused it. Better to talk about it, because then you can resolve it. Not talking about money doesn't resolve the conflict we feel about it. And it doesn't stop the topic going away in your head. You think about it every day of your life. It's just one of those things. If we, uh, money, relationships, these are big topics that we've just got to talk about. People say, oh, the church always talks about money. It doesn't. We always talk about giving. <laughs> we don't talk about money. Uh, and it's time we talked about money because too many people are living in the grip of money. Uh, the spirit, the Bible calls it the spirit of mammon, the spirit of money, grips our hearts. And we live making decisions through the filter of uh, money rather than the filter of the purposes of God. Many years ago, I was, uh, uh, we as a family were visiting my family in Cornwall, beautiful part of England. If you're going to go to England, go to Cornwall. White beaches, white sandy beaches, and weather subtropical nearly. Um, <laughs> it's just absolutely stunning. Surf capital of Europe. Uh, it, it is beautiful, and we were, went to visit the home of King Arthur. Anybody heard of King Arthur? Okay, he's not real. We discovered he's, he's not real, but anyway, uh, he had a home, and it was in Tintagel in Cornwall. The home is real, but he's not. I don't get that, but anyway, we went, went climbing up the cliff, walk to the top of the cliffs, and it, it 
Cornwall's really exposed. You've got the Atlantic winds blowing onto the coast. And it was one of those rainy, windy days. Huge winds blowing off the Atlantic onto the coast. And so Ben, my youngest son, was only, uh, he's, he's playing drums today, but then he was only, uh, I think, maybe seven, eight years old. Uh, and so I grabbed his hand because I thought, we've got two kids. I want to go home with two kids. Uh, I didn't want him blowing off into the Atlantic Ocean somewhere and, and going, oh, dear, lost one. Still got one. Win some, lose some. We'll head home anyway. No. Uh, so I, I'll grab his hand, and, um, and, and we're walking down the cliff path. And I go to Ben, it's all right, I've got your hand. Now, he's a pretty smart kid. He looks up at me and goes, Dad, have, I got, have you got my hand or have I got your hand? Mm, interesting thought. My question to us today is, have you got money, or has money got you? Who's got the strongest grip? Because if money's got you, you know, I don't need to tell you this, you, you know, your life will not follow freely the purposes of God. You will follow the course of where money takes you. Haven't got enough, you will filter your decisions through that. Got too much, you'll filter your... Too much is no such thing as too much. Got more than you need, you'll filter your decisions through that. Uh, and, it gets, it get, and it doesn't matter whether you've got little or a lot, you can still be gripped by the control of money. It's not about quantity. It's about whether God is first or money is first. And Matthew 6, 24 says this, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You see, money is just a piece of paper until it reaches your hand. And then it becomes something. Uh, out of my hand, it's, it's just a piece of paper sitting there. It's got a serial number on it which gives it value. Without that serial number, it would have no value. This has the value of 50 euros. But it is just a piece of paper until it touches my hand. And then a spirit comes on it. Uh, not, not literally, uh, but an atmosphere comes around it, depending on what you do with it. And it will have a, the spirit of God on it, if surrendered to him, or it will have the spirit of mammon, that, that is the service of money and things, will be on it, if unsurrendered to God. If unsurrendered to God, you will find that your life will be restricted. It never seems like you've got enough. If unsurrendered to God... Uh, you will feel, find yourself distracted from his purposes because you're always thinking about money or, or, uh, or what you do with money. Uh, unsurrendered to God, it will control you. Um, it will have control over you. Uh, so how do we get to a place where money ha doesn't have a grip on us? We get to that place by surrendering not just ourselves but our financial world to him. So you can get to a point where you go, God, whatever you say I should do, Wherever you say I should go, uh, whatever you want me to do with this, it's yours. Last week, we'll help you on that. If you're in here, get the podcast. Uh, 10, 10, 10, 70 helps you put your spending, that is, the things you would love to do with your money, at the end of your list, and it puts God first. You bring him your first 10%. But I can't afford to. Right there, you've made money your God because you've, you've made a decision through the filter of money. To say, I can't afford to do something that God is asking you to do. 
in order for us to get rid of the grip of money, we have to be able to say, God, well, you said it, therefore I will do it. And last week I shared the story of the time we moved to the Netherlands. We had uh, a fixed support of 500 euros a month. Woo! And uh, <coughs> that was not very much even back then. Uh, our rent was, five, uh, was 900 euros a month. It was like, help us, Jesus. This is going to be an interesting ride. But we, before anything else, before our tax bill even, which was not that high, um, we <laughs> brought a... <laughs> there are some blessings to having not a lot of money. Uh, we, we, brought, we brought the first 50 into the house of God, into church. It was our tithe. There was no option. It was not like, oh, we don't have enough. God, I honor you first. And over the course of the next uh, 12 to 15 months, we saw God do some wonderful things that just brought provision into our world and, and unlocked some finance that was locked up in a house, etc., etc., uh, that I believe was because we had walked a course that says we refuse to live under the grip of money. We refuse to be trapped by it. We want to be free. So, hey, I want to take us down a, a very practical journey here uh, this afternoon and share with you uh, 12 things, only 12. And I've got 19 minutes to do it, so you're going to have to listen real fast. 12 things that limit our financial freedom. If we don't do these 12 things, you're going to be okay. So this is like a double negative. Don't do what I'm telling you not to do, and you'll be fine. Uh, and, and you'll find yourself in a place of financial freedom. Are we ready for this? Yeah. Sitting tight, ready for a 12-point message, breaking all the rules this morning. Three points is the most memorable, apparently. One point is probably the most impacting. I'm going to do 12, so you're getting four messages, or 12 messages, depending on your theory. The first is this, 12 things that limit your financial freedom. The first is when we fail, uh, we limit our financial freedom Freedom when we fail to position God as sovereign over our increase. Now, I'm not going to dwell on this. We, we looked at this last week. That is, when we fail to bring our tithe into the house, that is, make him Lord. He's not looking for our money. He's looking, to be, he's looking for lordship. Uh, he doesn't need our money. He's looking to see that we're going to make the choice to put him first. It's not like, oh, God is poor, therefore he needs the first 10%. Now, he's looking for an act of us placing him sovereign over our lives. The second thing uh, that restricts or limits our financial freedom is when we don't sow for our harvest. We looked at that last week. Uh, if we don't sow into our future, uh, we don't reap freedom in our future. We don't reap something of benefit in our future. future. 2 Corinthians, I'm going to load you up with a lot of scripture today. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 says, He who sows sparingly, sparingly will also reap sparingly, but he who sows bountifully is going to reap bountifully. You can determine your future financial situation by sowing. It's in all of creation. God has put seed in the earth. He didn't put the final product in the earth. He didn't give us a tree with fruit and said, that's it. He gave us a tree with fruit with seed. If it was a tree with fruit, it would have only lasted one season of Adam and Eve's life, and that would have been it, all over. 
But he didn't. He went, I'm going to, I'm going to put a perpetual continuation into the planet that enables you to keep and maintain and flourish and, and be abundant. And, and in Psalms it says, it's my desire for you that, you that you would prosper and do well in life. He put that principle in the earth. He says, I won't just give you a fish to feed. I'll give you a fishing rod so you can go fishing so that you don't just last a season. You are able through the control of what I put in your hands to ensure your future prospers. And part of that is your ability to sow. The third thing that limits your financial freedom is when we accommodate destructive debt. Now, we say destructive debt because not all debt is, is bad or wrong. Uh, to, to borrow and invest in a, a, an appreciating asset is, is a good thing. It can be a good thing. Um, having said that, we've got ourselves into quite serious trouble in the Netherlands uh, because of mortgage debt. So we are... Uh, uh, personal debt levels in the Netherlands is the highest in, in Europe, uh, with the exception of Malta. But um, uh, who's even heard of Malta? Anyway, uh, we, we, we are amongst the, some British colony somewhere in the middle of the Mediterranean, some island. Uh, we, we have amongst the highest levels of debt here in the Netherlands, and yet we're the fifth, uh, have been in recent years, the fifth strongest economy in the world. How does that figure? Uh, it, it, it figures because we've mismanaged this area. Uh, and it comes from actually something that's blessed us. It's called mortgage tax relief. Because of mortgage tax relief, experts <laughs> have told us, keep your debt high because your tax rebate will, high, will be high. Don't pay off your mortgage. And I'm like, duh. The Bible will give you more wisdom sometimes uh, than other sources. And so what's happened is people have borrowed high, and instead of paying off, they've kept their mortgage high and then what happens is, of course, the market goes up and goes down, and they've, they've borrowed 200000 Now their house is worth 150000 Therefore, 40% of our population is in negative, um, uh, negative net worth. Uh, so 40% of our population are personally bankrupt, if you could put it that way, in personal negative net worth. That is a very, very serious financial crisis at a personal level. That means if today you lose your job and have to sell your house, you, 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 it wouldn't cover the mortgage you have. That's, uh, so we have to be very careful in this area of debt because debt will lead your world. You will not be free to make the sort of decisions you need to. Now, I'm not here to say debt's all bad and wrong, and if you're in debt, I'm not here to make you feel bad. I want, what I want to do is help inspire you to find a pathway on a course to a stronger future. And some of you have had to. It's, it's like you've had no other way but to get a student loan, for instance, to, to study. Having said that, I know people who are working like crazy uh, as a student to make sure that they don't come out with debt, uh, whereas others are coming out with, I read recently, debts as high as 50,000 uh, euros from, from their study. One in five of them are in, the, in arrears. They're, they're behind in their debt repayments. 30,000 of them can't even be traced. They've just allowed themselves to go off record and, and uh, or be of no address, so they cannot be tracked for the debt they have. And so we are in a crisis, uh, and God has an answer for it if we focus our mind on the fact that we will only spend what we've got 
Uh, and we will do the old-fashioned thing is, uh, I won't be driven by the need to buy the latest gadget or buy that thing my neighbor's got or do that thing my neighbor's got. I won't go on holidays I can't afford. I, I will make sure that I save before I spend because debt will end up crippling us. Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. For as long as you're in debt, you are serving another. You can say you're free, but actually you're not. You, you're locked into a contract that can't, lock, uh, that can't unlock you. If debt controls your decisions, you're controlled by it. But there is a pathway out. And as I said last week, the, the, the plus side is this. If you've got used to spending two, three, four hundred euros a month paying off a debt, when it's paid off, suddenly you're two or three or four hundred euros better off each month don't suddenly go and spend all of that. You can now start investing that. Your, your negative situation has taught you a discipline. It's done something good for you. It's taught you a discipline to live without it. Now you can continue, continue to live without it and begin to invest it into your future. Just think what that money could look like after 20 years of accelerating off the payments of your house. Just a thought. The uh, fourth thing that would limit your financial freedom is when we don't embrace a strong work ethic. James 2.14 says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith or can such faith save him? Faith is good. And we're a faith church. It is what we are. And it is, it, it, you can only please God by living by faith. But... Trusting only in God's provision is not an answer to your future financial freedom. Passivity is not an answer to your future financial stability. Faith and works, trust and a strong work ethic should go together. It, the two should go hand in hand. And I, I feel like we've been blessed with this in the Netherlands because we've got a sort of a Protestant Christian, um, largely a Protestant Christian cop. Uh, context and, and, and Protestantism is known for a good, solid, strong work ethic. You just scan your eyes. I will name no countries or, or any religious backgrounds, but you just scan your, your eyes across the world and the hardest working nations have always got a Protestant Christian work, uh, Protestant Christian context. It, we just have in, in, in the Bible a work ethic at the heart of what we're about. A strong work ethic. You, you can work harder than you think you can. You've got more hours in the week than you think you do. God gave us seven days a week. Most of us only have to work five of them. He had to work six. He's up there nudging angels every day going, this ain't fair. I had to work six. And that Craig down there, he only has to work five days a week. And even then he gets ten weeks off a year as a teacher. What's that all about? I mean, my gosh. <laughs> you can work five, volunteer one, and take one off. That's what Lisbon and I do. We work five days a week. We volunteer one day a week, and we take one day a week off. And we're loving it. We're living our dream. Love every minute of it. Not burning out, not tired. I mean, so many people, they get to Wednesday, and they go, I'm so tired. What, what is that about? Why are you so tired? It's just Wednesday. You're only halfway through your week. Here's my theory. They're not loving their work. 
If you love work, you're not going to get tired. Don't get tired of the things you love. The things you love, you're energized by. The things you, you love, you're motivated to do. When you go to work and go, I get to work. It's an awesome thing. What a privilege. It's my greatest joy. You get to Friday and you go, oh, bummer, it's the weekend. Wouldn't that be awesome? Instead of thank God it's Friday, it'd be bummer it's Friday. <laughs> no, it's awesome to look forward to your weekend. Nothing wrong with that. But you know, you, you can enjoy work. If you don't enjoy your work, you, you can only change two things. You either change you and your attitude to it, or you change your work. And you're in control of both. Isn't that amazing? A strong work ethic helps us find financial freedom. The fifth thing that limits our financial world is when we have no developing investment plan. We looked at that last Sunday. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. It's, I urge you, anything you can put aside, even if it's just a tiny amount right now, do that. It's good for the future legacy of your life. The, the sixth thing that restricts our financial freedom is when we unwisely give everything away. <laughs> Giving is part of the plan of your future, but it's not the whole story. That's why the 10, 10, 10, 70 works. We're saying, yeah, be generous, give. And there are moments where God asks you to do the radical. There have been uh, just a very small handful of moments in Lisbon I's life where we've done something very radical with finances. But they are just a small handful. Most of life is about orderliness and pathways and, and good-headed management. And so uh, John Wesley says, earn all you can, give all you can, save all you can. John Wesley was a famous preacher in the 1700s. And us preachers are known for having to raise money and, and, and encouraging people to give. Uh, and yet I would agree with him. I would encourage you, earn all you can. Get a second job. Have an entrepreneurial activity on the side. Give all you can. Just give until it hurts. But not at the point where you can also save all you can and, and invest in the future. The seventh thing that restricts our financial freedom is when we refuse financial accountability. Proverbs 11.14 says, where there is no counsel, the people fail. Do you know, others can actually help you in this area. It's good to take counsel. It's good to talk about this subject with other people who have a view on it. There have been moments in our lives where we've gone and taken counsel. We've taken counsel uh, for, uh, concerning investments from people who have done what we thought might work. We don't take advice from people who have not done it. We've invested in property. I've never taken advice from anyone who's not invested themselves in property because they have no idea what they're talking about otherwise. But take advice. I remember talking to our own pastor, Simon McIntyre, when we went through a really difficult financial season. He said, Simon, this is what it looks like. This is where we're at. Talk to me. What can we do? In that moment of half an hour of talking it through with him, he had this genius idea that actually helped us transform our financial world in the following two or three years after that. Taking counsel worked. It, we've even actually, I think I can remember two occasions where 
where we've taken advice on what we should give. Because, uh, you know, I, I'm a radical, and, and therefore I don't do anything by halves. It's always extremes. And so I'll have these radical thoughts. Hey, honey, we should do this. And on one occasion, uh, the advice came back, don't do it. So we didn't do it. On the other occasion, <laughs> the advice was awesome. And then I'm going, oh, drad. <laughs> and it cost us a lot of money. But it felt safe because it was in the safety of wise counsel. It's good to be accountable in this area. The eighth thing that holds us back to financial freedom is when we buy into get-rich-quick schemes. Now, you didn't know that the Bible talked about spam email, did you? You didn't know it had something to say about those adverts that pop up on Facebook? You know that one that says, uh, um, mother of two earns 50000 a year working two hours a day from home. She plans to retire by the age of 32. And it's going to leave an inheritance for her children. So you, have you read those? And then uh, you, you click on it and uh, you get to this page that goes, buy this training course for 300 euros and you can be like her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, like it happens like that. The Bible has something to say about it. it. It talks into it. In Proverbs chapter 28, verse 19, it says, A hard worker has plenty of food, but a person who chases fantasies and spam ends up in poverty. The trust... Worthy person will get a rich reward. The trustworthy person will get a rich reward. But a person who wants quick riches will get into trouble. You'll spend that 300 euros and realize that that training doesn't work for you like it worked for that one person that couldn't be translated into the millions of others who would love to have done the same. It failed to tell you that she happened to be a genius in her field and nobody else could replicate that form of geniusness, or it failed to tell you it was just a lie. <laughs> There's no such thing as a get-rich-quick scheme. Now, that's not to say we don't believe in certain moments and certain opportunities. I'm into that. I'm into the fact that God drops wonderful opportunities into our world, but we can't afford to live by a lottery mindset that says, I live for that one windfall that comes. I live for that one moment where God is going to deliver me into my wealthy future. Knock on doors, go to work, make it happen, give all you can, tithe all you can, invest all you can, and you will find God will drop things, drop moments into your world that will feel like a windfall, but you won't receive it as a windfall because your heart is not gripped now by money. It's like a blessing. Thank you, Lord. I could have got on without it anyway, but this is a wonderful blessing. Get rich quick schemes. Don't work. The ninth thing that... Uh, gets us stuck when it comes to financial freedom is when we no longer give to the poor. Proverbs 19.7 says, He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord. How about that? It's good for us to look after those in need. And you know what? I don't think it's even just for their benefit. I actually think it's... I reckon God put this in here as much for our benefit as their benefit. It, it constantly reminds us... It, 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 I'm not the center of the world. It's not all about me. The gospel is all about the I-centeredness being taken out of me and Jesus-centeredness being put in me, which means I am now aware of the needs around me. And, and as I physically get involved in that, it helps remind me I'm a Christ person. 
so it's as much for our benefit as it is for their need that I believe God is calling us to do it. And it's as much for his benefit that it's an act of worship. He says, as you give to them, so it's as if you're giving to me. It will help your financial freedom. The tenth thing that holds us or limits us in our financial freedom is when we are guarantors for a friend. When we begin to lend or guarantee money to friends, it can get complicated. Proverbs 6.15, just a paraphrase of it, says this, My son, if you become guarantor for your friend, if you've shaken hands in pledge for a stranger, you are snared by the words of your mouth, do not sleep tonight, but get out of that contract. Now, look, if you're a kind-hearted person, which obviously you are, obviously we're all soft-hearted in some way, you're going to want to help a friend. But just see, look at it logically for a minute. If a bank has done a risk assessment on someone and determined it's not, a, it's not a good idea for them to get into this opportunity, and you as a friend lend to them to do that, you may not be helping them. In fact, you may be helping them trip up in the future, getting themselves financially stuck and financially trapped. That's not a kind thing to do, to help them into a place that's just not good for them. Just a, a little thought. The other thing that tends to happen is the relationship can get complicated. And you end up damaging relationships in a desire to help. I think here's the golden rule. If you can't afford to give that money to them, don't get involved. If you can afford to give that money to them, beautiful. Give away. Help them into their future. That's a wonderful thing. But don't help them get stuck. Don't be guarantor. The 11th thing, I'm going to ask the band to come. Uh, I talk twice as fast. If you can just play at about 200 BPM, that would be awesome. <laughs> 11th thing that helps, uh, the 11th thing that limits our financial freedom is when we allow money to determine our decisions. I touched on this a bit at the start, but I want to deliberately go back to it because in a moment, if you feel a little trapped by money or the grip of money or the spirit of money, I want to pray for you. Here's a good question. Is, money, is it money that guides your career, where you live, what church you go to? Are you buying what you can't afford? Are you taking holidays that stop you from investing? Uh, are, are you living out of the, God's purposes for you, or are you making decisions through the filter of money? Our choice to move to the Netherlands had to be a choice to follow the purpose of God, because if it was about money, we would never have made the decision to move. In fact, it got us into a place that could have been stuck. We have to ask ourselves, what is the thing driving the decisions we make? What is most important to us? I, I was reminded as I was praying about this this morning of a couple who were in our church many years ago, a family, a wonderful family, who said, hey, uh, we're going to move out of Amsterdam and to a place I think it was about an hour away because it's cheaper and we said look we really don't advise you to do that it, you're going to find that it's going to be harder to keep up your connections with good friends it's going to be harder for you to keep up your connections with the church we don't, really don't encourage it but they went anyway and bought that place and after time they drifted in their connections in fact left the church and, and now their marriage is nowhere they're, they're divorced and it's all sorts of 
It's not an end result we want to see for anyone, but it's an example of what happens when we let finances drive our decision-making rather than principles we know are good for us. God has called me here. I am planted. The Bible says, where you're planted, you will flourish. What right have I got to then move over here and go, I want to flourish anyway, Lord. But money dictates that I should be here. They could have afforded to stay. They would have just had to tighten their budget. I would rather tighten my budget and stay where I'm planted and flourish than make a decision that's through the filter and the grip of money. He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. The final point, we limit our financial freedom when we forget that perseverance creates a pathway. Anything we're teaching you over these three weeks is not an answer overnight. It's, it's a pathway that requires us to keep on going. A tithe in summertime and in winter, in flourishing seasons and in difficult seasons. I, I give when I've got a lot and when I've got a little. I invest when I can, even when it's a tiny little bit even if it's only when I get a little extra. Even my life is so tight on my income, I can't invest, but hey, someone gave me a birthday gift. Put it into the mortgage. Maybe the only time you can ever invest, but you're gonna do it anyway. What are you doing? You're persevering on the principles. And I guarantee you, if you persevere in godly principles, it will always work out. The psalm says this, that God's intent for you is to prosper you. He delights in the prosperity of his servants. His intent for you is for you to do well. He says you're like a city on a hill. Some of us are at the stage where it's hard work getting up the hill, but it's okay, keep on going, keep persevering. Some of you can't imagine even owning that hill, but one day you will. You'll stand like a city on a hill because you follow God's principles. There'll be a day when you will go home flourishing. Doesn't touch your soul because God's broken. You've allowed God to break the grip of money off your soul. You're free from the dictate of money in your world, not because you have a lot of it, but because you made a cho cho choice to put Jesus first in every area of your life. Could we just stand to our feet? I want to pray for you here this morning. I don't want to, this afternoon, I want to allow the presence of the Holy Spirit to give us space to be honest with ourselves right now. It's just really, you can never be free until you've first been honest with your situation. There's no point in spending money like you're a millionaire if you're not. You've got to be honest with yourself and say, well, look, these are my boundaries. Let me be honest with myself. These are my boundaries. If you know this, morning, this afternoon, if you know that you've allowed money to make decisions for you if you've allowed your heart to get gripped by the need for it and the desire for more for more for more money's rolling your world just just be honest with yourself right now because in that moment of honesty i believe god will come and break that grip off your life as you reorientate your heart toward him and so holy spirit we welcome you here right now We ask that you would illuminate our hearts, expose our hearts, 
thank you that you do it graciously and not publicly. We thank you that you are a good God. And I, I pray you shine a light right now on us. And we give ourselves to you again this afternoon. We give our hearts to you. We give our lives to you. We give our thoughts to you. We take captive thoughts that go off toward anxiety over money, toward lust over money, toward decisions based on money. And we, we center our thoughts on you, the provider, the creator of all things, the giver of peace. Someone here who needs to hear these words, you feel like you're out of control, but God is saying to you, that's not you. You're in control. That is who you are. But you've seen yourself as a person who's not able to get on top of it and you've lost control. But God says you're able. You're more than able. You are capable. Stop. Receive his peace. And say to yourself, I can get a grip of this. I can bring my financial world into order. I break in Jesus' name every grip of the spirit of money of minds and hearts in this place I declare over you you have what it takes and God is your provider you will succeed as you honor him you'll be a city on a hill that is who you are Right now as I draw this to a close. Well, thank you for listening today. I want to take a few more moments of your time because it may be today you realize that you need to get your relationship right with Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never asked him into your life before. Or maybe... For some reason, you've been, you've been moving away from him. And today, I want to invite you to come back to him. Or it may be that you're just not sure you're going to heaven. And so I want to lead you in a prayer right now. And I would really love for you to say this prayer with me. And then, straight after this prayer, I would love you to do something for me. But hey, let's pray right now. Dear God, I thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died for me. I ask that you would forgive me. I turn away from my past and I give you my life. Come and live in me. I thank you that today I am saved. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you prayed that prayer, today the Holy Spirit has done something in your life. And so I want you to tell us about it. I want you to email info at c3amsterdam.nl and let us know you've made this decision and let us have your address because I'd love to send you a book that will help you make this decision really strong and become a follower of Jesus. And we'll also be able to help you get planted in a church near you. God bless you.